Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, writes online under the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In this episode, we talk about original characters in fanfiction, otherwise known as OCs. We discuss how we personally come up with them, how we named them, the purpose they can serve in fanfiction, and touch upon the rather controversial subject of self-inserts, also called Mary Sue's within the community. We talk about the differences between original fiction and fanfiction in terms of creating characters, and about the different techniques writers can use to craft well-rounded protagonists for their stories. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. Welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. I'm here with Lani and I'm so happy to be recording today. It's been a while. Um, I was away for the last couple of weekends going to Gowen and Edinburgh. So it's really nice to be back and chat about fanfic. Lani, how are you? What's been up? So I am doing good, although I am a little bit physically sick with a sore throat. Um, I've also been away over the past week. I've been in Ottawa on a grade eight graduation trip. (laughs) Um, And I just got back yesterday evening. So I haven't been super online in the past week or so because it's been really busy. Um, But I'm glad to get home and have some time to do writing and other things like that. Yeah, I feel like everyone's sick at the moment. Like I had COVID last week as well. So it's just like, I think it's just that time of the year. Um, so before we start, I just wanted to find something because we got a, I got a lot of messages about yeah. it. So I know my accent sounds weird, so a lot of people are curious about it. So I guess like a lot of the times I just keep it like on the down low and I keep keep people guessing, but this time I'm going to explain it. So um, I'm originally French, but I studied English uh, from a very young age. I was in bilingual school when I was a kid. So I was in English school, basically, but like abroad. And so that's kind of where the sort of low key English vibes come vibe comes from. And then I moved to the US. I was I was studying in the US for a while. And then I've been in I've been in Ireland for six years now. So that's why like it's kind of a bland of like everywhere I've ever lived. Um, So that's why my accent sounds weird. But uh, thank you for all your kind comments and everything about it. It's been great to receive them and I thought it was a funny story to share. So anyway, apart from that, today we're gonna talk about OCs um, or also known as original characters in fanfic. Uh, We had this episode idea a while back but we ended up bumping it up because uh, someone on Tumblr ended up like suggesting the topic and I thought it was a very interesting topic to discuss. So we're gonna dive into like, or creating original characters, what we mean by original characters, what we think are the good and the bad stuff about it. And like, kind of like the, also any Mm -hmm. kind of discussion about Mary Sue's and stuff. So I think it's gonna be really excited. What are your like initial thoughts about OCs, I suppose? I think all characters that get written in a fan fiction are original, even if they are quote unquote, like copyrighted, because once you're starting to control a character and put dialogue in their mouth and and 
control their actions. Like they don't do that all by themselves. You have to do it. So I'm not really down with the idea of there being unoriginal characters because uh, they don't do anything until you make them do it. So even when you have a character that's been like pre-established by the original author, like they're becoming original by you adding life experiences that uh, weren't originally in canon. Yeah, that's, I guess that's very true. Um, The first thing that we think that we can do right now is kind of define what we mean by OCs, because I think you're right. Like, obviously, any kind of writing, and that's including, like, fan fiction and original fiction as well, like, you're kind of bringing personality traits and, like, inventing characters and, like, adding personality traits or adding, like, life experiences to characters that already exist. So I think, like, that's very true. Uh, but in terms of mm-hmm. OCs, like, what do you what do you think that means? What does that mean for you in terms of, like, fan fiction? I guess, like, the traditional understanding is that in fan fiction, there's two basic types of characters. So there are characters who are named and known from canon, where, you know, if you Googled that name, you'd get a million hits because it's well known from the canon series. And then there's characters that are completely made up by the author of that particular story their name is made up their backstory everything about them is made up even though they can exist inside the world of the story um that individual character you know if you looked up their name on google you would only get hits for that one particular fan fiction so that's kind of the traditional understanding in a strictly kind of denotative not connotative sense so i'm not adding any of the sort of value judgments that's just a sort of a literal explanation of what they are but then if you added like what are the connotations of an oc and like what's what have a lot of people said about them i think you you would get into the area of ocs oftentimes having kind of a bad reputation or being something where a person will decide not to read a story if they see oc in the tags or if you know they're somehow mentioned in this story description a lot of people will be like nope that's not for me um and i think we can discuss like what's going on like why is why has that been the case to me there's different like stages of ocs as well because if you're looking at complete ocs and that's like some someone that's just not mentioned in canon does not exist in canon has never that's just completely an integral part of the fan fiction and never mentioned in can- has no relationship to canon apart from existing within that world of fan fiction but i think there's also like people who are you know, I would say relative OCs in the way that, like, if you're going to write a fic about Kingsley Shacklebolt, for instance, he's not really... Yes, he is mentioned in canon. Yes, he has a few lines in canon. Yes, we have, like, a little... A very general understanding of who he is within the Harry Potter series. But he doesn't really have, like a strong personality Mm -hmm. or we don't know everything about him we know almost nothing about him so if you're gonna write a fan a fanfic about that character you're gonna have to do a lot of work in terms of like character development and trying to find like new you know new experiences new character traits and things like that to add to the character to kind of give it a little bit more flesh and I think that's obviously also writing an OC in a certain way because you're being you're being something like you're writing something that's like mm-hmm. almost entirely new and almost entirely your work. Uh, so I think that is also something that we can see as writing an OC, at least in my opinion, um, of people doing that work with like very tangential characters who are mentioned in canon, but we don't know that much about them. Yes, I would agree with that. And I like the example you gave of Kingsley Shacklebolt because I think he's 
he's a great example of someone in a gray area where he does have some dialogue and some action in canon. It's not that we have absolutely zero about him, but we definitely don't have a well-rounded depiction of like, what is his family life? What is his childhood? What is he like in personal relationships? Like, we don't know those things. Um, we see a very limited aspect of who he is in canon, and he doesn't have a really close relationship with Harry. So we we just don't know those, those things about him. Um, I think there are some other characters where we certainly have a lot more to go on. And yet, if you look at that character in a different life stage than what they're shown, then it, it becomes a little more original. So one example would be um, a character like Minerva McGonagall in Harry Potter is like pretty well developed. And we, we, we have many scenes where she has dialogue and we do see quite a bit of her personality. But at the same time, a lot of the way we, we see her as, as a, like an older, experienced, authoritative teacher. But if you were to write a story about her from when she's 12 years old, uh, she's not going to be an authoritative teacher at that age. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're developing like 12 year old Minerva, that's that's, you know, she's going to come across a lot differently. And it there will be sort of an OC feeling because so much of her life, the setting of her life, her responsibilities, her roles, it's going to be a lot different when you look at her in that in that way. Yeah, I completely agree. And like to give an example, I know no one has read that fic because it's a very niche fandom. <laughs> But I wrote a fic last summer about, um, so for anyone who's watched the show Spooks, um, it's a British show that like, dates back, I think it's like it aired from the, from like 2000 to 2010 or something. I would say it's Britain's version of 24 in a way, uh, in terms of like, kind of like that spy show kind of version of like the 2000s sort of terrorism vibe and mm -hmm. I wrote a fanfic uh, that is part of my war series about um one of the kids of the characters that you know everyone in that show spoiler alert for anyone who's not loved watched that show uh, everyone dies in that show <laughs> it's literally like every major character dies apart from one uh, it kind of became a joke at one point and um, but, and so I wrote a fic from the point of view of one of the, of the kids of the characters who died and I was kind of exploring, you know, what, what impact would that have had on a child and like their kind of, that child's then like trajectory in life and all that. And like, we know the child exists. We've seen him in like a couple of episodes, but he doesn't really have a personality. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like, it was a lot of, to me, that's almost an OC because you, you write a fic about Wes Carter and it's like, okay, we know, we know who his parents were. So that was kind of interesting to get that point of view. And we do know his parents pretty well, but obviously we don't know him pretty well. So it's kind of like, you're kind of doing that work of building someone out from the rest of the world like taking inspiration from like the rest of the world and the rest of canon mm -hmm. to create this character who exists within the world of canon but who wasn't really like developed in the show itself yeah and i think also as we're sort of radiating outward from a strictly canonical character to a really getting to be more original but maybe not a hundred percent we have characters like i have a a long long story that's basically about Hope Lupin, who would be Remus's mother. And she's not even named in canon. Like, we don't even know her mm -hmm. name. I mean, it is referenced that he has parents. But, I yeah. mean, so does everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, so everyone had someone who's their parents. Um, yeah. 
But we we only know her name and a little bit about her from Pottermore, which is debatable about whether or not it's canon. But even then, we don't we don't really get to see her day to day or have any dialogue from her. So um, that is really was like a lot of development of like who she is as a character who's almost original but not quite, and then radiating outward from that on the original on the sort of originality spectrum would be like her family members who I developed who are like completely original. Like they're not named, referenced, alluded to, or anything in canon. Like I just made them up based on mm-hmm. what would make sense for this character and what I wanted for the narrative. You know, like any character in any show, it can be inferred that that person had great grandparents because everybody does. But but it's not like, I think it's yeah. really pushing it to say, well, that's not an original character because that's a great grandparent of an original character. And we know from canon that like this person had a mother and father who themselves had a mother and father and so on. Yeah. And I mean, I was saying to, I was saying this to you before we started recording, but I do think that even when you look at like secondary characters who do exist in canon, there's like different stages of like how much work you have to do in terms of like character building. Like for me, having written, mm-hmm. for instance, I didn't really expect that to be true, but when I was writing The Fault in Fault Manufacturing, which is like centered on Seamus, I realized that there's not that much in canon about Seamus and if I compared it to the work that I did writing the Fleurfic it was equally as interesting but I found that there was a lot more character building and a lot of like thinking a lot more thinking that I had to do about like Seamus himself than I did about Fleur Mm -hmm. and I think they're both secondary characters I don't think Fleur is like necessarily more mentioned than Seamus in the in the books but it's just those scenes that she does have are a bit more important and a bit more character building rather than Seamus, apart from Order of the Phoenix, when we do find out quite a bit about him. But apart from that, there's not that much in canon. So I think it also depends, even when you look at secondary characters, there's different degrees of of how much work you have to do in terms of building the character, um, the characters themselves, even even when they are mentioned in canon. Yeah, definitely. I I would agree with that as well. And um, I think we also have to give a nod here to people who write AUs and how a character who's incredibly familiar and well-developed in canon, when once you're putting them into an alternate universe setting and giving them a different sort of backstory and history and sometimes a different relationship to the narrative then they become a bit of an original character because you've taken away a lot of the defining things about that person that existed within canon and you have to redefine their backstory and their role in society. So for example, I'm writing an AU right now and it's my first sort of real AU rather than like I've worked with characters who are like barely named at all in canon but working in a different universe um you know, I've some of the relationships between the core characters are different relationships. So characters who canonically were the same age and would have been equals in my story are maybe a few years apart and um, literally are not like, they're not equals because there there's military rankings and, you know, some have to answer to others because they're of different ranks. Or, um, you know, I've even changed some core relationships in terms of brother and sister, mother and father, where 
two people who were familiarly related in, in a certain way in canon will be familiarly related in a different way in this new story. And of course, their backstories are different as well. So then it gets into like, what about this person is staying the same as in the original story that maintains that that connection to canon, which is important to me that if it's I'm using a named character from canon, who's a well-developed character in canon, there has to be some similarity or true connection that feels consistent. But then what about them is different. So for me, for example, when I was writing my sort of alternate universe version of Remus Lupin, you know, it's a non-magical universe. So like, he's not going to be a werewolf, but then what, what, what does the werewolf thing become? And so in this story, it becomes that, you know, he has this side of him, which he mostly shows, which is very kind and, and gentle and compassionate and non-confrontational. But then he also has this side of him that will come out under situations of extreme duress, which is, you know, terrifyingly violent and capable of doing like extraordinarily awful things to other human beings. And you know, in his usual, like, it, it gives him tremendous um, pain and, and suffering in his sort of ordinary state to know, like, the things that he's done when he's been under terrible duress and committed some really awful, horrible actions. And so that's where the kind of the suffering piece and the guilt and the self-loathing come in and also the duality of, like, what it means to be a werewolf is to be is to be two-sided, right? There's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. So in that character, it's like I've taken away that that magic element of being a werewolf. But the thing that, that really matters is somebody who, you know, has a, a really dark and horrible side to them that rarely comes out. But when it comes out, it's it's terrifying. Who also like suffers terribly in some way connected to that dark side. And so that's, you know, something I, I can't give away specifics because it would be spoiling the story. But that was one way that I handled like, what about this person is the same, even as they are fundamentally different at the same time? Yeah, and I think, again, it really comes back to what we were discussing in the first episode of, like, there is this cliche about how, like, fan fiction, you know, it's so easy because you don't have to do, like, a lot of character development and stuff. And, like, that's not very true because... Mm -hmm. If you're writing fan fiction, most of the time you're gonna have to do some character work. Either, even if it's like the most simple story of like you're writing, I don't know, missing scene or whatever. If you wanna write it, if you wanna write like a good missing scene, it's gonna have to have like some sort of character element and like actually develop some sort of character evolution or else the missing scene doesn't have like a reason to exist. And so I think it's, you know, it's very interesting that there's this cliche about fan fiction because in my in my experience, like, yes, maybe world building is something that you have to do less, at least if you're not writing AU, if you're like staying within canon. But in terms of character, I think you, you do a lot of the same work in fan fiction that you would do writing at original fiction anyway. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I would also point out that like, there can be terrible fan fictions and there can be terrible pieces of original fiction anything can be done well or poorly so there are some really poorly developed original characters in fan fiction and there are some really poorly developed original characters in original fiction so i think it, it doesn't dictate whether the character will be well done or not the difference is when you're working with a non-original character in fan fiction there's certain there's a certain level of sympathy and love that you can expect from the reader towards the character where you don't necessarily have to build that sympathy because the, that, that character is already loved. So, for example, if you show that character mm -hmm. suffering, 
your reader all, will already hurt because they already have that empathy and care built up. Whereas with an original character, if you kill that character off, but you never develop that character in the first place, like your reader's not going to feel anything because that's like a stranger, right? Whereas you could have a, a character in a fan fiction who never even shows up on screen and but their death is mentioned yeah. and the reader will feel sad because they do know that character, just not from your story. A hundred percent. And so I wonder um, if you want to talk to like about a little bit how you come up with OCs and like how, like how you build your characters. Cause I know a lot of writers will have like character mm-hmm. portraits or like sheets or whatever. And they'll have like all these quirks and like personality questions and stuff. And I was wondering if, like, that's the kind of thing that you do or it, or not at all. Or, you know, how do you come up with people like that? Um, I definitely don't sit down and, like, design a character. I'm someone who, when it comes to original characters, they'll sort of appear in the story as the plot needs them. And very often, mm-hmm. like, they develop very organically. I never sit down and like make a list of character traits or personality quirks or things like favorite color, favorite food, favorite whatever. That would only ever come up if it comes up in the story. But uh, so like I'll have scenes where mm-hmm. I haven't even decided on the character's name. Like I don't even know what they are aside from what their role contributing in that scene is. And then like the last thing I would decide is their name, you know, like if I need a waitress in a scene, then I'll just be like, okay, we're going to have a waitress. And then maybe at some point in the scene, that waitress who I thought was going to be not that important will start getting into a discussion and I'll realize maybe this character is becoming kind of important. And that's when I'll start sort of developing them. But I, I, I don't like to plan characters in advance because I find that then you have all this stuff that you want to fit in, but does it even really fit? So mainly um, that's not really something that I would do because I find characters will just come to me really sort of spontaneously without planning in a way that like a plot is something that I have to sit down and think about in advance. And I also like the idea of when you first meet somebody, you don't know all these things about them because in real life, everybody, when you first meet them is, you know, none of the, none of these people are a main character in your life the first time you meet them, unless it's like your newborn child, right? And it's only as you get to know them that you would discover these other things about them anyways. So that's that's really the way I write. Um, it's it's very mm-hmm. spontaneous. I know this this might not sound super helpful, but that's one of those areas where, to me, I'm absolutely like hands off in terms of planning. Um, I had a character in one of my stories who I only found out that she was pregnant when she said she wasn't feeling well. And then it just kind of turned out that what she wasn't feeling well because she was pregnant. But like I like I didn't even know that that was the case. <laughs> like I, I I was as surprised as anyone else. Um, it's really yeah, hard to explain sometimes. if you if you haven't written how stuff like that can happen. Like it 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 really it really does happen that these characters just kind of like create themselves. And so I was wondering because you just like mentioned it really quickly. How do you come up with names? Some char- if you're writing fan fiction, like some characters already have a name because they're from canon. Characters, some characters don't need a name because they're really only instrumental, yeah. like a waitress, a ticket taker at the train station, and so on. Like if those characters are people that your character wouldn't even learn their name, then they don't need a name. Um, but then for a character who's important enough that they need a name, 
And then I would be looking at things like what year were they born? Uh, what social class are they from? Like, remember, names are chosen by the parents, not by the person themselves. So, you know, what kind of name would this person's parents have chosen? Not like what name would they have chosen for themselves, unless they go by a nickname. Um, in which case I'm thinking like, what is the backstory behind this person's nickname? So, um, for example, I have a, a character in my story in Search of Mythical Kings who his mother was very uneducated and sort of low class, but had sort of these grandiose, unrealistic pretensions to being wealthy, uh, think, you know, something that was never going to happen. And she was a little bit sort of deluded about it. And so when she was naming her children, she gave them all these sort of like ridiculous names of like 10th century kings that are like mid medieval style language because you know she probably opened up some book randomly and right. was like this this sounds like a really fancy name this is what like a rich person's name would be this is this is like a smart person's name but she really like has no context or idea of what these names are and so the name she's chosen for this character is this like horrible multi-syllabic anglo unpronounceable name that, you know, he's completely embarrassed of and would never, ever go by his first name ever. And usually, like, with his family, he'll go by, like, a shorter nickname. But with everybody else he's met at school, he will just go by his last name because he's, like, absolutely humili humiliated about his first name. Like, he'll never, he'll never tell anyone his first name and unless he's, like, forced to because he just <laughs> finds the whole thing humiliating. So for that character's name... There's like a whole backstory behind like why does he have such a ridiculous stupid name and that's and that le lends into like developing him as a person because it is a dumb name but there's a story behind it. For other characters they just have a name that would be sort of typical of when they were born and the social class that they're from and names that would have been popular at that time. Um, and then for some characters depending on how how important they are you might want to give them a name where the meaning of the name has some significance to who they are. Um, that being said, I generally don't do as much of that if I'm writing a story that has a more sort of adult audience, which is mainly what I do. I usually don't choose a name that is like werewolf McWerewolf. Like I usually, I usually don't, don't do that. I would, I would show their personality in other ways. I, I, I prefer a character whose name is realistic for what sort of name their parents would have chosen. Um, that being said, right now I'm writing a military story and a, a lot of guys in the military would go by a nickname and not even use their first name or their last name. And so for those nicknames, there's usually a story behind the nickname of, of how they got it. Um, so then when I'm thinking of that nickname, mm -hmm. I'm thinking firstly, like, is this nickname short enough that you could yell this person's name really quickly when you need them? Because if you're in combat... You're not going to yell out the sort of nickname that like racehorses get, which are sometimes a full sentence. So it, it has to be short enough that you could like yell this person's name mm -hmm. um, in a moment. And then it's like, is this a nickname that this character kind of gave himself? Or is this kind of a nickname that other people gave him that maybe is making fun of him a little bit? Which does happen, like, the, the the social status and the dominance hierarchy, you know, like a character who's nicknamed, like, Fatso or whatever, he probably didn't choose that nickname for himself. Like, he was given yeah. that. But some, some nicknames are more like, you know, that character definitely wants to think of themselves that way. 
Um, and then another thing with nicknames, and this is especially something that men do, I think it's it's not as much of a thing for women, is that a character will have a nickname that means the opposite of what they are. So like, a really tall character will be called like midget or something, or a really dumb person would be called genius. Like, like this is something men do sometimes. We'll, yeah. they'll, they'll give somebody the sort of like opposite nickname to what they are, and it's done jokingly. And then, of course, like in a military story, a lot of nicknames will relate to like battle and ferociousness and kind of how men want to perceive themselves. So, like, I have a character whose nickname is Gravedigger. And, you know, that sort of thing, which again, like, it sounds cringe, but like, if you actually look at the nicknames, that have been like written on helmets that you'll see in real photos. They they did use nicknames like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure. I like for me the names kind of so it kind of depends, right? If it's like some very like someone who's mentioned like a waitress or whatever who actually needs a name for ex for whatever reason, like a mi- very minor character who needs a name. A lot of the times for Harry Potter, I'll go so. There was this website, uh, I can, I'll link it in the show notes, but there's a website that's like random name generator or whatever. And mm-hmm. I find it really helpful because it comes with, it comes up with like the weirdest combinations of names. And I think that like really fits way, well sometimes within the world of Harry Potter because some <laughs> of the names are like completely out there. And so I really like playing with that website when it's like, you know, some rendo in the aura office or like, you know, something like that. Yeah. I'm kind of like really bad at like thinking of like funny names. So sometimes I'll use the website to kind of get ideas. But in terms of like major OCs, I don't know. The names just kind of come to me. And once they come to me, I can't shake them off. Like I remember, so for anyone who's read Castles, there's a character in there who's called Julia, who's, um, she's like Harry's, mentor in the aura department uh, she's like assigned to sort of train him and her name was julia from the very moment i started writing that character and at first i mean if you've read castles and if you read like the ands that mm-hmm. i gave like that i wrote for castles you'll know that she ended up being a very major character but she wasn't meant to be a major character at the start and I, when I wrote, when I first wrote her, I was like, okay, her name is Julia. And then I kind of came up with her being more important and her having a backstory. And her backstory was that she was pureblood and she was Slytherin. And I wanted her to be from continental Europe. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, okay, I can't really name her Julia because that's a very common name. Like she's Italian and it's a very common Italian name. And I was like, you know, like most pure blood characters in Harry Potter have like these very sort of wizarding names. And so I was like, I need to give her a different name. And like for a very long time, like I named her Hera and I made her Greek instead of Italian. And because I wanted her to be from continental Europe, but I wasn't like hard set on Italy at that point. And it just didn't work. Like for me, it was like at the moment, from the moment I had Julia in my head, I changed her name a number of times, but it just didn't work. And so I realized that the reason why she was Julia to me and like couldn't be anything else is that I was thinking of of a particular person whose middle name is Julia in my 
kind of circle of friends and I was kind of she's not really based on her but it was kind of like who I was thinking of when I was writing Julia and also it's um like I kind of mm-hmm. see it as like a very strong character name because to me it's related to like Julius Caesar and all that kind of heritage and so I was like Do you know what I'm just gonna go with it because I couldn't I couldn't pick something different I think like for me personally once a person once a character has a name they they start acting like someone who has that name and then that's it like I can't think of anything else in terms of like coming up with OCs in general I really do agree with the with what you said about them having a purpose I think that is one of the major differences in what I think you know writing original fiction versus fan fiction is like for me when I write fan fiction at least when I write OCs they have a purpose now that doesn't mean that like I don't build a fully fledged character to fill that purpose and sometimes like characters will have like a huge backstory that I made up in my head that never even gets mentioned in like in what I'm writing because it just never becomes relevant but like for me I just yeah like when I come up with when I come up with characters they have a single purpose like Julia is Harry's mentor Uh, Mia is like his girlfriend for like kind of yeah I'll go with the word girlfriend although that's debatable you'll be you'll be starting a a family uh, a a fandom fire by by even even (laughs) saying she's his girlfriend without providing context from your story so like like, I'll provide context (laughs) Harry and Ginny have like split up temporarily and he's seeing someone else Uh, and so so like Calm down, everyone who loves Ginny. Yeah, like, no, Ginny okay. is coming back. It's going to be okay. I've said this before. <laughs> she's coming back. I'm writing it at the moment. I'm writing Castle at the moment. It, she is coming back. But Mia, and like people actually have been, start, have started telling me they like Mia, so I don't know. But anyway, she like, so I'm, I'm coming up with like characters to fill that purpose. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have a personality of their own. And that doesn't mean that they don't have a backstory and that they don't have like, something you know like a lot of personality and stuff but that personality is there is also there to kind of serve the story it's like they have a point and their personality is the way it is as an element of plot as well in terms of like having the main characters whether it is harry whether it is someone else react to them in that way so i think that's kind of the way i'm i'm seeing ocs in fan fiction is for me they have like a particular purpose unless i'm writing something like the fleur fic or the or the shameless fic in which case like i'm in the i'm like i'm writing in the head within the pov of that character and therefore like you know their personality is the main thing about the story but that's kind of a different a different topic I think. But I I do like the topic of how characters are named because I think it's not just about naming characters but when you talk about how you name someone it also ends up being really about how you create them in general like it feeds back into you know some people will spend hours and hours pouring over different names and and looking at the name origin and the name meaning before they choose a name that fits exactly and for me usually like i'll look a list look at a list of names that would have been popular in their place of birth and their birth year and be like i'm i'm waiting until one sort of seems right and i don't know what it is but i'll know it when i see it and then when i see it i'm like yeah i know that's the one and that's mm-hmm. kind of it 
or if it, you know if it's a nickname then i'll have to sort of put a little more thought because i can't just choose from a list i have to make it up myself but i know usually when i say okay that name just fits i know i know it's, it's the one there's usually like a reason for that name that, that like a series of associations i have with that name that match what i want for that character and I think also, like, it's okay to, when you begin an OC, it's okay to have them start off as sort of a stock character, a flat character, an archetype, and then gradually you develop them into their originality. Because the reality is, like, when we first meet people, our first impression of them is very two-dimensional and flat. You know, you have a snap judgment about who a person is. And then as you get to know them, it, it, it develops. But when you first meet them, there is that level of snap judgment where you think you know who they are based on, you know, their appearance and the first three things you learn about them. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like, look, if you're writing, like, if you're trying to build an OC because you need one or because you want to and making, like, an entire, you know, like, sheet and, like, answering questions about them, if that is helpful to you, then mm -hmm. go on and do it, you know? Like, but I think it's not essential like I I've written so I've like I've read so many books about like or you know articles because I don't really read books about writing but like articles about writing being like oh you need to like know their favorite color and stuff and it's like if you're not into no you don't if you're not into that you don't have to do it like because a lot of people are like oh but like if if you don't do that your characters will not be relatable and like you won't know them very well I hardly again like going back to what we were discussing in episode two which is like me not being able to like see see things in my head I don't know what most of my characters look like um <laughs> and that's completely fine so like you don't necessarily you don't need to like do that kind of work if that kind of work doesn't work for you if it works for you then great like if it helps you come up with personality traits if it helps you come up with things like that like that's great but it doesn't it's not necessary okay so this is joe from the future now i wouldn't necessarily do this unless it was like some a point that i really thought was important but i just want to add to what i just said in the episode itself that I think there's a little bit of confusion between backstory and character building and personality. You don't need a backstory to build personality elements. And I think one of the mistakes that I've seen done in fanfiction a lot, and something that I forgot to mention in the episode itself, is that people get so attached to their character's backstory that they forget how their character's personality is affected by that backstory. Backstory is important, but personality is more important. You can have a character who doesn't have that much of a backstory, but who has a strong personality. And I think a lot of beginner authors, especially, and I think I was definitely on that board when I was younger, trying to come up with backstory to fill a void because you're trying to find personality traits. But it's not because like your father died when you were young or whatever, that that means that that conditions your entire personality. And a hundred people will react to the same event a hundred different ways. And so you need to find, if you're gonna find a backstory, if you're gonna find like particular events that are gonna relate to your character, you not only need to find out those events, but most importantly, what how your character are gonna is going to react to those events and i think 
that is a very important relationship and something that should not be overlooked. Now we get back to the core of the episode. What I think um, has been helpful to me at least, and I'll link that in the show notes as well, is I don't know if you're familiar with the Sorting Hat Chats um, website, but it's basically a website where like a couple of of Harry Potter fans have like done a really, really detailed breakdown of Griffin like of how Hogwarts houses and like in different personality traits and like the way it's organized and like you have like primary houses and secondary houses and things like that and I find reading those or like you know MT like um what is it MTBI or or whatever I found like reading those personality things sometimes helpful to kind of just get my mind thinking about stuff like I won't necessarily follow anything that's on there and I don't really believe or even like if you're into like I don't know astrology or whatever it's not necessarily that you have to follow that kind of like very like strict personality types or whatever but I think it's it might be helpful in terms of like thinking of character traits or thinking of like aspects of personalities that you want to explore so it's not necessarily like you have to do like you have to be like okay my character is like I don't even know these types but like his ESTP or whatever and it has to have like all these traits but I find it helpful to kind of get my mind thinking about like certain things or certain character traits that I might want to explore or certain themes that I want to explore as well so I find those kinds of things helpful and maybe more helpful than just like filling out a sheet with like different questions about my character yeah and i would also say that like sometimes the kinds of character sheets that go around will focus on things about characters that are not very much not really important like what is their favorite drink or what is their favorite color or what eye color do they have when the reality is you could read a whole book and never find out someone's eye color and still have that character be a very interesting <laughs> character. What what I like yeah. to think about often is, like, what disability does your character have? Like, what can't your character do? Or what do they do very poorly that most people can do? Or what physical limitations does their body have? So, for example, I'm writing a story right now where a character is left-handed and like why does that matter that he's left-handed well because when you're when you're learning riflery uh that matters it matters which which eye is your dominant eye and which oh, hand yeah. is your dominant hand and you know it's it it means he has like much poorer marksmanship than other people because you know like he's he's been trained to shoot with his right hand but he's he's left eyed so like it's it's a problem it doesn't match and it gives him very poor marksmanship which obviously like impacts his survival and his usefulness in combat so like that even though like left-handedness is not a disability in general you know in certain parts of life it will affect your life significantly you know another character I had no idea that he was going to have a speech impediment until I started writing dialogue for him and it started showing up and I was like, what's this? And I realized he had a speech impediment, but then him having a speech impediment and having a lisp made me think about this is probably going to affect his social standing. Like he's probably lower on the social hierarchy. People are going to make fun of him for it. This is not a community of like anti-bullying and safe space, right? Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is like an ultra masculine (laughs) competitive 
racist and so on space. Like, nobody is going to be, like, respectful or anything. Um, and then, like, how is that going to affect his personality and the ways that he has to, like, overcompensate to seem masculine and tough because he has this speech impediment? So I would definitely say, like, what what are the limitations on your character's body and and their disabilities? Or it could be, like, an intellectual or, like, a personality disorder or a mental illness or whatever. Um, and, and how does that how are they compensating for that or how is that affecting their life? You know, when I think about myself like as a real person and I think about the things that I've chosen to do with my life because there are certain things that I know that I can't do or I can't take or I can't do for a sustained period of time, like that's significantly affected my my career and the choices I've made for my career because a lot of my decisions were about like I know I can't do this and I know I can't do that and I probably can't handle this kind of thing and and what's left for me or even things like it can be something really simple like if your character cannot hold it in like if your character needs to go to the bathroom very often and they have a poor poor you know, bladder control, especially if you have a character who's pregnant, like, how does that impact literally the places that they can go? And, you know, then what kind of places are they going where they know they're going to easily find a bathroom there? Like, it could be the simplest thing. But like, when it's your life, those little things you have mm -hmm. can impact you a lot. And the same thing with small disabilities, like color blindness, or having no sense of smell or things like that, which is called anosmia. Or in the case of Joe, like being unable to visualize anything, which probably impacted your performance in math class and like geometry. 100%. You know what? Definitely. And also in arts class, because I'm not like I couldn't I couldn't come up with things. Um, and I think like going on to that as well, I think when you're writing the good thing about OCs, and I think, you know, that is something that is interesting in fan fiction is you know, a lot of the times if you're writing fan fiction, you might be writing fan fiction about a canon that happened, like that was published like 50 years ago or even 100 years ago. And obviously having OCs can also be a good way to kind of put a little bit of, I, I don't want to say, but a little bit of diversity or a little bit of like open-mindedness as well into a canon that's a bit old. Like you can have characters now, like if writing fan fiction and stuff, that's kind of the fun thing is that you can expand on canon. And so I think like, for instance, you know, in Harry Potter, a lot of people have OCs to kind of have like a bit more diversity in Harry Potter or a little bit, of, a, a little bit more of like, and I think that is also an interesting aspect and I think that's why OCs are important is that you can do they also allow you to sort of expand on canon in the same way that like expanding the universe expanding the magic expanding you're just putting more things and I think one of those things in terms of like creating OCs and like having more diversity and adding OCs to add diversity to canon is actually a very good and positive thing and I think we're gonna talk about like OC kind of stigma in a minute but I think that to me, that's how, that's why I also see having OCs in fanfiction as like a positive thing is that I think it allows us to expand on canon on certain stuff that maybe wasn't there in, you know, in the original work or in the original dress. Yeah, definitely. And I think also it doesn't mean you sat down and made a list in advance of like, these are all the diversity things you need in your story. It's just that oh, no. if that's how you think, it will naturally find its way into your story yeah and I think like if you're yeah if you if that's an important thing for you then it's just naturally coming into your story and it brings it adds like more 
I don't know, it, it, it just adds more to your story and it just adds more spirit and more realism as well to your story. So I think, I think that's a really good thing. Now going on to, so the more like spicy kind of conversation of OC stigma. Okay. Um, I guess like, so we got, um, we got a question about someone on Tumblr, which I thought was very good about like the reason why we're starting like to, to, talk about OCs today is you know the dreaded sort of like Mm -hmm. Mary Sue and like self-insert kind of thing and the sort of bad rep that it gave to OCs and fan fiction so I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that a little bit yeah I mean I think this is one of those things where I've seen it change over the course of my like I don't know what is it like 19 years in internet fandom or (laughs) some obscene number of years where I feel like this was much worse in the early 2000s and it's definitely Mm -hmm. changed a lot I mean a lot of things have changed I mean one of the big things is kind of the attitude towards diversity and like fan fiction creating diversity instead of viewing fan fiction as like bad because a lot of women write it (laughs) Um, (laughs) definitely like in the early 2000s there was a lot of hate for OCs, but especially female original characters, because there was an assumption that um, original characters were like author inserts that basically were a version of the author, usually uh, put into a story to be like a love interest to that person's favorite character. And it is true that, especially in the early 2000s, like a lot of these characters were just really like, um, did not have any depth or interesting like they were just like perfect they had no flaws they had nothing about them that was interesting or engaging or relatable um and for that reason people would see original character and they'd go nope i'm not reading that because they didn't want to read about like another girl with like sparkling green eyes and wavy hair (laughs) whose like only character trait was being clumsy yeah you know like the bella swan kind of character and i i think i don't see a whole lot of that anymore i'm sure it's out there and maybe i'm just not finding it but definitely like any character that lacks personality flaws that lacks any physical flaws any character who's perfect uh is a boring character and is not interesting now obviously some characters we don't get to know their interiority so if you're if your main characters are looking at a woman on the cover of a fashion magazine and she looks perfect and then we never get to know her like, that's not really a character, so it's okay that we never got to know her flaws, because she's not actually important to the story. I'm talking yeah. about main important characters who are a big part of the story and who don't develop flaws. Like, that's a problem. In the same way that a story without conflict is the problem. is a, Sorry, is a problem. I think people have got to get over this idea that every original character is a like an author insert or kind of a Mary Sue, which is the old fandom name for, like, a perfect female, really unengaging character. Like, again, it is something that especially, I think, younger and less experienced writers will do, and you will see it, but um, I think the majority of original characters exist because the more you push a story outside of the original boundaries and setting of canon, the more it becomes logically necessary that you must populate the world with other individuals besides those that were mentioned in canon. I completely agree. I think, and I think that's very true. Like, I I understand the reluctance of certain people, and especially back in the day, to, like, read OCs because of what you're saying but at the same time 
unless you're writing like a very, very short one shot, it's impossible to have a world Mm -hmm. with just the characters in canon. Like it's, you you need other people to populate that that world because you're not rewriting, you're not rewriting the same show, you're not rewriting the same books. So from that point on, you need other people, even if they're minor, even because your characters are gonna evolve in a world that is populated by other people. (laughs) And so you need, you need those people to exist. I think, so, on Tumblr, I like follow a number of blogs uh, of uh, like that are like fan blogs from Peaky Blinders, and I've noticed. I don't know if that exists in Potter. I haven't seen it that much, but in Peaky Blinders, this the genre of whatever like whatever character with like reader inserts is kind of popular. So like you know the your name kind of thing. Oh yeah, I've seen that, and I think that is. A little bit of the Mary Sue thing coming back but like in a different way of like now I haven't really read those so in fairness maybe I'm wrong and I'm sure there's like really good fix in that genre but like from what I'm seeing at the moment and what's popping up on my dash that kind of looks like the modern sort of Mary Sue concept of like Mm -hmm. just like reader insert you know Yeah, I've seen a few of those come up on my dashboard and it seems like the main difference between the sort of a story told in second person where the main character is a you rather than an I, just for people who are wondering what we're talking about, a lot of those stories will be like one person asks for a specific request to a writer and then the writer will fulfill that request, Yeah, which is different from the early 2000s where the person who wanted it will be the person who wrote it. And it was no, it wasn't like one person responding to another person's request yeah but but otherwise and then the other thing was like in in these stories they're kind of for everyone in the sense that they don't describe the main character because it just says you and then the reader is allowed to fill yeah. it in with whoever they are <laughs> but whereas know, like it's like sometimes yeah. they're, quite, they're quite specific as well because like sometimes it's like you have blonde hair and blue eyes or whatever and it's like that's not really like and I think again, like you're kind of surfing the line of like having a fl- full, a fully fledged character there because if you give them like specific traits and specific like personalities and stuff, at that point you're just doing a narrate like a you narrator. Um, I think when I think about that type of writing, the whole like POV you and so and so are doing this. Um, I think it comes a little bit from like video games, like where. A video game will have like a sort of pre-developed storyline that the uh, company will have made up and yet you, the purchaser, get to sort of design your character with various stats and a different appearance and uh, you would get to name your character and yet regardless they're, they're still going to end up falling into the storyline that the like game developers have planned. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit video game-ish. Yeah in that sense like it, it's it seems less inspired by like the way books read than the way like online games or video games are or like a choose your own adventure story especially because people are requesting these from the writer and specifying what they want which again gets into the kind of choose your own ending thing i agree that they definitely uh like i don't read these because i don't think they would appeal to me yeah and it does seem like many of them are maybe not aiming for any like an artistic 
like a feeling of like artistic accomplishment rather than a sort of like being gratifying in other ways, which are fine and I don't judge, but I don't think they would appeal to me. I, I, I definitely, those are definitely like the children slash grandchildren of the early 2000s Mary Sue. Yeah, that's what I feel. And so I was wondering as well, because um, I think that was that was a point that was brought up by the person who messaged us on Tumblr, Incalculable Power, um, mm-hmm. who said that like, even even if it is a self-insert, like even if you are writing about a character that is very much like you, that is very common in literature in general. Like that is, you know, that is something and it doesn't seem to be frowned upon as much as it is in fan fiction. And I think like a good example that, it, like she's, she said it's not, but I don't know if you've read, if anyone listening has read Sally Rooney's latest book, Beautiful World, Where Are You? But there is, there is a character in there who is like a very successful, world famous Irish author who is overwhelmed by her own fame. And like she has like a lot of like, she has a lot of similarities with the author herself. And like obviously Sally Rooney has said that it's not a self-insert, but it I is. Think <laughs> there is an argument to be made that it is. Or at least that it's, I think the way I saw it at least was like a self-critique more than a self-insert of like her own her own critique of her own relationship to fate to mm-hmm. fame and like her own views on herself so I thought that was kind of it, it's kind of meta in a way but I think you know that's still a published book that got a lot of success and like a lot of people have commented on it but you know it is still something that people read and that's still and it's not necessarily as frowned upon as it would be in fan fiction do you have thoughts about that yeah um so definitely plenty of authors write thinly veiled versions of themselves i mean that's what a romanoclef is it's a story that is a thinly veiled version of the the life of the real person i mean and i i've made this point online before but again like harper lee in writing to kill a mockingbird that is a very thinly veiled version of her own life and her own father was a lawyer um raising his two daughters in in the deep south and so on so the issue with a character based on yourself is not that you shouldn't have a character based on yourself it's that if you are committing to doing that you need to be able to honestly look at your own flaws and defects and be willing to be self-critical in the narrative by showing your flaws and that if you're not ready to do that you shouldn't write yourself in as a as a character so that's what I would say to anyone who's thinking of inserting themselves into a story. I would say go ahead. But if you are feeling like too much shame to represent yourself in a way that includes your defects, and if you're, you know, unwilling to write like characters who dislike you or think you're annoying or whatever, maybe you're not ready to be writing yourself into a story. Yeah, I agree. I also think, though, I will say the opposite is also true so you can't go into it doing entirely self-bashing as well because so that would be the main criticism that i actually had against like sally rooney's book is that i felt like she was just bashing herself the entire time and she was just like being like oh famous people are so annoying they're complaining about fame and there was like I mean I've talked about it on Tumblr and like some people disagree with me and that's fine like we all have different opinions but 
the way I read that character in her book was like literally everything that she hates about herself was in that character and it felt like that character didn't really have like any good sides it was just literally just a negative version of herself and I think that's the problem with like a lot of a lot of like the criticism that we had about Mary Sue's and stuff is that it needs it just needs to be a real person it just needs to be like a real balanced individuals with like good and bad sides and I think if you're only writing someone who's like ideal and pretty and like great and like their only flaw is like clumsiness or whatever that's not going to be that's not going to make people happy and that's not going to make people read your stuff because they're going to think that's annoying and that's an annoying self-insert but the opposite is also true of like if you have a character who's like very much like you and you're just like hammering on its flaws all the time without having anything to save it or redeem it then that's also going to impact your audience and your readership and stuff and that's also going to be negative so I think you just need if you're going to write a character about yourself, you just need to like take a step back and make it into a fully fledged individual, whatever way you want to look at it. I, I agree with that. And I would also say I would probably never directly write myself into a story unless it was nonfiction and, and like actually about me in my real life. That having said, there's always elements of me in my main characters because, you know, I, I have to have something in them that I can relate to so I can say what would make sense to do in this situation or how would you feel if this happened to mm -hmm. you. There, there's like a spectrum of how similar a character is to you. But I mean, every every character has something of the author in them. And, and it's okay to say that. Yeah, and I think like, you know, you need exactly what you're saying about like, you need something to relate to because for me for instance like looking back at like for for um for example which is the fleur fic me and fleur are very different people <laughs> like we're very mm. different people but one thing i could relate to and one thing i wanted to write about and and one thing i thought was interesting to write about her is her experience as like a french person living in an english-speaking country and particularly in England for her, in Ireland for me. That's an that's an experience that I've had and that I can relate to and that I can like kind of build upon. And that mm -hmm. would that would have been my relationship with that thick. Now our personalities and the way we deal with it are completely different, but that is a shared experience. And so I think it's like you know you, you're always going to put something or you're always going to be drawn even to stories that are interesting to you either because of personality traits or because of experience that you want to write about so it's like even if you don't have the same personality as, the, as that character it could be just an experience of like oh i have experienced this but i would like to write it from like a different point of view than mine for instance mm -hmm. and i think the more the setting of the story is alien to you in the sense that the setting is very different from whatever the world of your personal experience is, the more you need something that tethers the story to something very relatable to you so so that you have a place to start. Um, and also, if you're writing a character who lives in a very different world than your reader does, you need to give them something to hold on to so that they can begin to relate. So, for example, like for my uh, war story. Like, I knew that, you know, the modern reader, who's probably someone around my age reading this story, is going to initially be very disturbed and uncomfortable with the amount of, like, just openly racist 
and everythingist language, misogynistic language, sexist language that would have been realistically present in any sort of military unit during the Vietnam War. Like they're they're immediately going to be sort of off put and not feeling yeah. a whole lot of sympathy for these characters because of the way they talk and the way they act. And so in order to kind of realistically give my readers some space to get into these characters who are doing things that you are immediately going to find off-putting is my my main character is somebody who comes from you know like a much more upper class and educated and a little bit like champagne socialist of a background so that even though it's true that he grew he grew up in the 1950s and 60s and certainly didn't get the same kind of education that like a millennial would have he's somebody who you know upon coming to vietnam his immediate sense is these people are so tasteless and vulgar i can't believe they talk this way they're you know they're so tacky like they're they're i hate these people they're tasteless they they have no idea how stupid they sound and so his initial reaction to these other characters is probably pretty similar to what you as a modern reader would would feel hearing them throw these racial slurs around like all the time you would feel that sort of revulsion and like i don't like these people and then sort of gradually he gets to know them and and comes to develop more empathy for them roughly at the same time as like the reader would but i wanted to provide a bit of a softer landing pad for the reader who is walking into a story where a modern reader who's like my age or younger is immediately going to be sort of revolted and go like i hate these people i can't stand them i can't i can't relate to them and for that reason i had this character who like comes from a very different much more spoiled upper class highly educated sort of new york city liberal background so that when he first gets there he's like these people make my skin crawl i hate them and then gradually you know so it, it creates a little bit more of a softer landing pad for the reader and also because i think it's more relatable to the reader who is going to encounter things like yeah. very hard physical labor and very brutal circumstances and go i can't take this i would die like i can't i can't live this way this would kill me i can't get up at this time of the morning i can't sleep in a hole in the ground and of course this character being very wealthy and having never worked a manual labor job for a day in his life is is also his first reaction is like this is gonna kill me i can't get through even one day of this which i think is what most most people my age would read this and go like i would die i can't even do this for one day And then, of course, gradually he acclimates a little bit more at sort of the pace of the reader, because if I because if I told a story from the perspective of maybe a not very highly educated, like working class kid from like rural America in the 60s, he's going to get to Vietnam and go, these attitudes are pretty realistic. I, I hate these people, too. They're all communists. They're scum. The work, you know, it's hard work, but, like, that's what the army is. And, like, I don't know. I I didn't find boot camp that hard. Like, I heard interviews with veterans who said, yeah, I mean, they yelled at you a lot in boot camp, but it wasn't that hard. Like, I worked on a farm my whole life, so, like, basic training wasn't that hard. But I know that, like, the modern reader is going to hear about basic training and go... That's the hardest thing. I can't do that. I would rather die. <laughs> so it's it's just not going to be something where they can make it relatable if they're introductory yeah. introductory characters. Someone who goes like, "Oh, this is isn't as bad as I thought." Yeah. No. Definitely. Okay. Well, this is a very interesting discussion. I hope you guys have learned something about like writing OCs and and developing uh, characters. Um. So to wrap up, do you have any recommendations this week to give us? 
I'm sort of still reading books that I had started a little bit earlier, so I probably don't have any new um, reading recommendations. And um, I'm I'm kind of I'm going to be starting stra- the next season of Stranger Things, but I've I really haven't done a ton of like media mm. consumption this week, so maybe not for me. Okay. Um, one thing I want to recommend. Um, so two things, but they're kind of related. Um, I don't know, are you familiar with the podcast My Dad Wrote a Porno? No. <laughs> so it's a very it's a very funny podcast. So if anyone is like in the mood for laughs, this so it's a British podcast, this guy, it's like exactly what it says on the tin. So this guy's father wrote a pornographic no- novel, but it's just really, really bad. Like, it's like bad erotica fan fiction. Yeah. It is just so bad that it is hilarious. And so he and his friends are kind of reading along and making comments as they go along. And it's just, it is one of the funniest podcasts I have ever listened to. But I do think it teaches you a lot about what not to do in fiction. So I think mm-hmm. I think it's a good listen for anyone who's kind of looking for both a laugh, but also like kind of something of like, you know, what, what not to do and, and kind of an analysis of what not to do when you're writing it, when you're writing a, a story. And mm-hmm. re- kind of on a related thing, one of the hosts of that podcast, Alice Levine, has a different podcast that is called British Scandal, which I will also link. And basically it's like a retelling of some of the most like wildest scandals in British history. And it's just really well done. And the way they tell the stories, it's kind of scripted, but also acted. It's kind of a hybrid between different things. And at the end of the season, they uh, interview one of the people who was involved in the scandal or like a journalist who covered it or something. And it's very well done. And I have learned a lot. And I think also narratively, it's interesting to see how they do it and how they tell these stories, which are real, but also you know, they're kind of making it up as they go along and making dialogue and like kind of acting out certain things. And I thought um, it's a very, it's mm-hmm. a very interesting one. I'm currently listening to the one on the Sex Pistols and it's a very good, it's a very, very good show. So I would definitely recommend it. Um, so that's it for me. Mm-hmm. Lani, where can we find you online? So on AO3, you can find me at copper underscore dust. And on Tumblr, you can find me at copper hyphen dust.tumblr.com great and i'm joe aka pebbly sand on tumblr and ao3 and you can find the podcast at the fanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com if you have any feedback or any suggestions for topics for episodes as i said this was suggested by someone who listens to us so if you have any suggestions or feedback our ask box is open for that bye, bye.